Hello, this is the State Senate DFL Podcast, Call of the Senate. I'm your host, Senator Jeff Hayden. Thank you for joining us. The purpose of the podcast is to allow you, the listener, to better understand our senators with stories about their background, where they grew up, the moment they knew they wanted to be a public servant. Also, we'll be discussing legislation or general changes in society that they hope to accomplish during their time in the Senate. Welcome, Senator Hurd, to Call of the Senate. So glad to see you here today. Nice to see you too, Senator Hayden. Good. So, Senator Fung Hurd, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, um, and even how you uh, got to the to the Minnesota Senate. What made you interested in in, in the public life? Well, you know, Senator Hayden, I, you know, glad that you're the one that asked me this question because I know that we are all the same generation of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was born in 1965, and 60s. Six year, yes, yes, pretty yes. much the same generation. I, but I was born on, on a uh, different pl- place outside of Minnesota here, you know. So I was born in the uh, war zone of Laos and actually born in uh, a uh, clandestine um, op- airfield, you know, military airfield yeah. in Laos. So, you know, I was surrounded by war. So there was a lot of traumatic during the Vietnam, during the Vietnam War. There's a lot of traumatic incident. I mean, when you're there, then life may seem normal because things are happening on you know regular basis. But if you step out of it and now live in the United States for, you know, more than 30 years, you, you can draw the comparison, you know, like, oh, okay, that's, you know, there's, there's no better... Uh, place than the United States if you look back to those times. So uh, what draw me to running for public office is uh, pretty much the uh, changing demographic of the east side St. Paul, you know, and uh, I felt that I can be a key component to make things inclusive and make things happen uh, for and be responsive for the res- diversity of our community in the east side St. Paul. So um, I volunteer a lot, you know, pretty much that po- that portion of my uh, component of my um, uh, life draw me to running for office. You know, it's not the career path because I start as a computer programmer right. and become a video uh, producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I every now and then I credit Al- Almanac for being that when I produced my first TV show was at TPT. Exactly. So Almanac was next door. So I, I even though I tried to avoid. Watching it, I come across Almanac oh, every day, so that that boosts up my my um, knowledge about Minnesota history and Minnesota culture. Well, shouts out to TPT and Almanac. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I'm sure uh, the yeah. folks over there will be glad to hear it. So let's just go just a little further back. So you grew up in Laos um, in the middle of the Vietnam War. Um, so I will take a little liberty to say that did you and your family. Uh, immigrate or migrate after the war was over or during the war and it's and and tell us about that and then how did you guys get to minnesota yeah it was after the war is over after after um, you know um america have withdrawn the troop from from saigon and and then so you know it's it's a domino you know a court of of um of ceasing the war too mm-hmm. And Laos itself is a neutral zone. You know, we shouldn't have people there to begin. United States shouldn't have people them to begin. What? What? We have um, CIA advisor to right. come and train my people, the Hmong people, as a nucleus member mm-hmm. of of that operation, mainly to um, uh, maintain the radar station uh, very north to to 
of Laos close to the northern Vietnam. And right. so um, at the same time, we rescue American down pilot that will go across and, you know, maybe get shot down and they won't be falling to Laos. So, sure. yeah, so, um, yeah, it was during the, the, it was after the Vietnam War. Um, May 14th was the last day that, you know, we had to withdraw, you know, um, from Laos. And so, uh, my family left um, the country of Laos uh, um, May 22nd, and so we we escaped to refugee camp and lived there for about a year and a half, and then um, applied for asylum to the United States and end up Sioux Falls, South Dakota was oh, the first day. Yeah, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, was the first place where my family my family started. Yeah. Now tell us. Tell us a little bit about your your kind of your 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 family, like your your you would share with me a little bit about you know some of the work your father's done, and uh-huh. if you have sisters and brothers, tell us a little bit yeah. uh, about your family and, yeah. And, and and yeah. Well, my my father is a military diplomat, and so you know um, uh, people know people of that generation; they all know each other, you know, as a, um, uh, a pillar of our, our communities. Um, uh, he's also a, a rank mil- rank major in the military uh, force um, under the Special Guerrilla Unit and the Royal Lao Army in combination. Okay. So um, uh, I'm the oldest of the family, okay. um, and my mom is is a farm girl, um, and she uh, she was illiterate. You know, her first reading ability and starting school was here in the United States. Wow. You know, so uh, I'm the oldest of um, my parents' five children, and okay. I end up taking care of a lot of my younger sibling, even up yeah. till this day okay. in, in my fifties. Even, right <laughs> even right now, never stop. Never right? stop. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, the first the first ten year of our life here, moving to place to place. So sure. Texas was our home for a short period, okay. and then we settled in Kansas City, Kansas, where I graduated from college. Right. Well, that's the next thing I was yeah. going to ask. It yeah. looks like you're a, a Jayhawk. They say Jayhawk. rock talk, yeah, yeah. Jayhawk. I saw that yeah. you, um, people will notice that you went to the University of Kansas mm-hmm. and then on uh, to get your master's degree at Rochester Institute of Technology. Right. Right. Is that right? So mm-hmm. so you said that that's kind of how you settled in Kansas City Kansas, yeah. um, and then went to KU. So with that being said... Um, Let's talk a little barbecue, just if Ooh, we can. Barbecue, right? Okay. Uh, so, uh, are you a, 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 a gate person? I'm glad you. Yes, I am a gate person. <laughs> you know, gate. What's your favorite barbecue? Uh, and I say that because my family is yeah. also from Kansas City, Missouri. My father grew up there, uh-huh. so I spent a little time there. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, um, my time in. I haven't been back to Kansas City for over some time and just go back every now and then. Most of my extended family are still in Kansas City, Kansas, this right. Kansas City, Kansas community. And I'm glad you mentioned about Gate Barbecue because uh, uh, the church that I, I was a member of was um, we, we, we bought from a Catholic congregation. So it's on Washington Avenue, oh, yeah. right in downtown Kansas City, Kansas. Right. So Gate Barbecue is just four blocks down. Yeah, down the block. Yeah, down the block. <laughs> so I remember those days that we were going to Gate barbecue and they have a lot of history and it's, yes. it's expanding and it's still it's still a family owned operation yes, so yes, I yes. every now and then when I go down there my
my brothers uh, still live down there, so they would, we would still go to gate barbecues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Gates family, uh, Ollie Gates, there, kind of proprietor, went to high school with my grandmother. So, oh, okay. so we've been around a long time. Okay, so back on yeah, track. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the the legislature. What are the things that you're most passionate about? And then, what are the things this year that you really hope uh, we might be able to accomplish in the legislative session? Yeah. Well, I'm passionate about equity and economic development. Um, you know, trying to advocate for uh, the working poor, working family, or the have-not in our society, because I have not experienced a life of wealth and riches. You know, I experienced a life of of um, struggling. You know, people. I experienced a life of being uh, low middle class. You know, and the life of being a refugee, the life of uh, struggling. In public school, you know, right. become successful. So I understand that portion mm-hmm. of life. So you know, I'm bringing my heart here to Minnesota to see if what is, you know, although we put so many big bills up, that's important too. And one of these days, I will, I will, you know, be maybe be a champ, stronger champion on those big bills. Right. You know, but I, I don't mind being co-author of those big bills. But I, I'm here to answer to. Uh, the marginalized community, those who may be left out from the process. So I create my office slightly different from people, uh, from other legislators where I'm trying to accommodate, um, a constituents much more. Because when they come to you asking for a letter of support for a job, that's when, that's when people of color and people who, um, you know, may struggle need the most. It's a letter of confirmation that there are, you know, a correctable member in society or there are, you know, um, they are, you know, a hardworking and productive citizen of society. So I answer to my constituent uh, one by one um, more, I would say, maybe, perhaps more than many legislators here. And, uh, um, bills that I'm working on this session is one is uh, an election bill that I had introduced uh, several years ago, but I'm hoping that maybe really this this bill will maybe it might pass this year. Every got every got heard in in the House, and so uh, uh, Samantha, uh, Representative Samantha Wang is working on that election bill. It's like to remove the the cap. We have uh, if you have to help other people, they cap you. Up only to three people. Yeah. That's if somebody needs help, um, needs help. Uh, uh, voting. Mm-hmm. Um, that the volunteer can only help up to three people. Right. It's the current law, yeah. right? Yeah. And then your bill will, will remove that number remove three that because um, it, I I don't see any point of just keeping that three. We were the only state that put that cap on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the other. Why do state, you think that cap was there? I have no idea. You know, it's going back to 1966, so I I I don't know why. Is, is there maybe it, uh, it, uh, just to cap so that we don't, we are not so flexible? I don't know. I, I have no, right. no background, but it, it, it put a cap there. And, you know, I, before I sort of sent, served the Senate, I helped take people to vote a lot. And sometimes that cap is misinterpreted yes. from, from, um, from, uh, meaning that, that cap is helping people mark. Yes. Okay. But sometimes it, People misinterpret that helping people, period, yes. in general. So, you know, when you help three people, then the election judge will just start counting people, and then that, that defeats the purpose of in- integrity or, you know, honest voting, because instead they can put their time and said, 
everybody just vote, but we're going to pay attention to to, to uh, whether somebody's uh, voting properly or not instead of counting the number. So I'll focus, Mr. Rack, ourselves just counting people to three. So, um, you know, Arkansas is the only state that put a cap, but they still kept the number up to 11. Right. You right. know, so, uh, so I mean, if you remove it, it, it only helps empower people it only make our um, voting process more accessible you know and even even hoping when we don't put any cap people are still gonna stop to a certain point because I help a lot of people in voting I get exhausted when I reach number 15 Absolutely. helping you know and, and say, so much that you yeah can do. you can do, do so much but this doesn't deter people from um, this encourage people who want to help other people to be involved civically absolutely mm-hmm. so tell us about the people of color and indigenous caucus mm-hmm. uh you are the co-chair and the senate chair mm-hmm. of that so uh as i tell people you're my leader <laughs> on that issue so tell us a little bit about the Pocky caucus um and what your uh vision is uh for that caucus since you're the uh and it's a bicameral mm-hmm. group and you're the chair in the senate well i'm i'm, I'm honored and i'm thank thank you to my senate um uh, posse uh, uh, Senate posse members to to consider me as the uh, co-chair you know so I work in uh, conjunction with uh, my co-chair in the house which is representing Rena Moran mm-hmm. and so we work very well together and we as uh, people of color indigenous uh, has to stay as one cluster mm-hmm. if we want to make any change you know mm-hmm. power in the number you know and so if we uh, came here not organized, then uh, you know we could be drawn, drawn into uh, voting on something that is irrelevant to us. Though it may make, make us feel good, but you know we have disparity here that hitting the people of color That's right. in in general, and so uh, we need to stay in cluster and, and fight as one um, movement, and at the same time set a leadership. Trend because some, you know, even our caucus or you know the Republican caucus, if we create a cluster of nineteen members, mm-hmm. then they will listen to us. That where where there's where's this wrong in society? How can we we change legislation to accommodate um, the one that's left behind? Yeah, absolutely. So. One would say, if they look at the demographic, that the Asian community that you're a member of is doing very well. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about disparities, Mm -hmm. help us understand why they would need, what what disparities uh, do you have in the Asian community, Mm -hmm. since as a whole, they're well. But it seems like if you disaggregate that data and you dig into it, there are other groups inside the Asian community that aren't doing well. Help us understand that. Yeah, I mean, the the Asian community, and, and, and I get along well, very well with you know all pockets of the uh, the spectrum of Asian community, whether it's Chinese American, East Indian Americans, or you know Bhutanese and um, uh, let's see Nepalese and um, so forth. Um, and um, they still call me to their events and dinners, so that means I'm I'm still getting along well. But in in the in the silo of Asian American alone, there um, some some came here for uh, educational opportunity, business opportunity. Mm-hmm. And Southeast Asian in general mm-hmm. came here because of the um, uh, Vietnam War, yes. and the, the spectrum of uh, people varies. You know, um, you may have educational elites in the community um, from top to bottom. You know, uh, working. You know, f- uh, family, low income. Back and the thing is, 
we we uh, sacrifice with our blood with military. Most of the most of folks uh, of Hmong American descent that are here in our state are connecting to veterans, right. are connecting to uh, our sacrifice for the United States. That's right. So you you can you can bring just the social elite and just make policy for the social elite right. only. You know, we have to accommodate all who are going to provide service to our state. That's right. You know, so um, that will break down, you know, certain uh, groups like, for example, Hmong Americans or uh, Southeast Asian or struggling very much, very, very similar to uh, African American, you know, Somali and, and um, you know, even Latino, right. you know, so we are in the right. same pool together. I know? wanted to make that distinction because sometimes people don't understand that. And this uh, uh, podcast here gives us an opportunity to talk about it. So as we kind of go to a close, uh, tell us something about you that most people wouldn't know. A uh, good one or, or a little bit uh, melancholy? Senator, you can share whatever you'd like to share. I share one that um, it uh, it kind of changed my life to some degree, maybe two. Mm-hmm. One is that I end up on the front page of a Albert Lee newspaper right. back in 1982 and because I have a major car accident down there that changed the course of my life. Wow. Um, you know, end up on a front page newspaper. I'm still trying to research to, to get that front page newspaper. Oh, yeah. yeah, but it was a life changing experience. Right. Uh, right. Caused me to be uh, a little bit more spiritual and caused me to be more dedicate my life for public servants. You know, right. whether I hold a position in office or I'm just out there helping the community. That's right. And the That's the, right. the 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 writer side of something that you sh- uh, people should know about me uh, and it's been posted to some degree and, and on Wikipedia about myself or some uh, on Facebook activity is that I, I love the Boundary Waters. Yeah. So I, I go there almost every year. Exactly. And, and I, I think I, I have um, uh, go into pretty much like 75% of all entry point the less difficult one. I should have done the. I should have done the more difficult one when I was younger. Right, Maybe right. fifteen years ago when right. I started, it was you know I should have done the most difficult one. Now it's as I age, it's a little harder for me to do longer portage. Right. But right. I go there every year with a group of um, um, Hmong friends, Southeast Asian, yeah. and, and it's not. It's nine people. Right. Not all. Not all Southeast Asian. We we, we diversify too. Right. You know. Right. So, but majority are Southeast Asian. That's a core group, yeah, a core group and um, it's really. Uh, a, a experience, you know. I'm thinking one of these days, maybe I should put my experience into paper from a Southeast Asian perspective of Boundary great. Water. You know, so I think that would be great. That would yeah, be great. yeah. Well, listen, Senator, we're kind of nearing the end. Uh, tell the people out there how they would get in touch with you. What's your uh, phone number? Uh, your social media platforms? Mm-hmm. How, if one wanted to learn more about you or get in touch with you, how would they do that? They can call six five one five nine. Uh, 651-296-5285. That's my office number. Or, you know, I I would tell my constituents, you know, not lobbyists, but my constituents that every Friday just come to the Capitol and I show them around. So, you know, they just come to the Capitol. If I'm not here at the Capitol, you know, I'm just, you know, I cannot go too far because east side is just 15 minutes away, you know, so so my staff will call, where are you, you know, like so-and-so, the Smith is here, the Yang is here, or, right. the, you know, the Schwaski is here, just come over, <laughs> you know, and then I'll say, I'll be happy to, Good. you know. And then spell your name uh-huh. so that people, if they want to look you up on Google, but are on on Facebook or any of the um, uh, social media platforms, 
platforms. Yeah. Uh, and I know you have a little bit of a unique spelling with your sure. name. So why don't you spell that out for us so people know how to get sure. in touch with you? First name is F-O-U-N-G, and my last name is H-A-W-J. You can put that together, F-O-U-N-G-H-A-W.com, and you, that can go to my website, and all the information that you need to know about me are there. Or, you, you know, again, it's F-O-U-N-G-H-A-W-J, Fong Her. Senator Fung Hurt, thank you for being on Call of the Senate. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Senator Jeff Hayden. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Call of the Senate. I'm Senator Jeff Hayden, and I hope you enjoy getting to know my colleagues and hearing about important things that are happening at the Capitol. If you'd like to hear more stories, please visit our website at www.senatedfl.mn or connect with us on social media with the handle at Senate DFL. Thank you.